I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. Now, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlet. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supper with us tonight, what do you say? Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and if you can't roll your R's, just call me Mr. V. And I'm Hoda Kotb. I don't know why I just that was that's that's just what I got this week. That's my Coda sure. pun. Yeah. Coda Hot B. Yeah, Coda Hot yeah. B. I'm Coda Hot B. Um so, uh, which is, you know, a really graceful way to say that this week we are talking about the movie Coda. Yeah, per your recommendation. I mean, I feel that this was on my radar because we had both been seeing Marley Matlin, you know, on the blogs. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I feel like this is like a a great Golden Globes movie. You know what I mean? It has like mm-hmm. Globes written all over it. It reminds me of that movie that came out with like Kate Hudson last year, like called Music or something. What was that movie? Oh, well, that one. That, that wasn't apparently that great. I didn't yeah. see it, so I don't know. I didn't see it, but I, that one had all the controversy because it was all like these like really problematic perceptions of autism. Oh, um, I see. I and see, like I the see. main character was – well, actually, it's interesting you mentioned that. Because the actress who played the main character does not have autism, and so there was that like performance of disability oh, thing. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, which of course is you know the opposite of Coda, where all of yeah. the all of the characters who are deaf are played by deaf actors. Yes, they're getting it right, and I, I think, I mean, I'm trying not to get into it right now too, but I, I. I don't know, like, what will become of, like, Marley Matlin come, like, award season. I could see her being nominated for this movie. I could see this being nominated for, like, best movie, musical, or comedy. It's one of those things where, like, it's not a musical, but it's about music, so they could lump it in, you know? There's some there's some numbers. Yeah, there's at least two, you know, musical numbers. And then, of course, there's actually a third one, but um, it's all in silence, which I thought was, you know, a, a brilliant move, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, I think that this was – I really enjoyed it. I the, the little that I had read about it before going in was that, you know, Coda really, you know, as they say, follows the playbook. It's not a terribly original plot in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, the the basic, you know, details. But then it's in the nuances of, of you know, the Ruby being the only uh, hearing member of her family member – of her family. Yeah. And then – it, what, what I kind of loved about it was through like the first, I would say like for half or first three quarters of the movie, we were seeing the ways that that it was a nuance in their lives, but it, it wasn't like at the forefront. Like in some ways, their their being deaf was a factor, but it did also kind of just blend in, and the story was bigger than the family being deaf. But yes. then when we got to like the concert, it was like, oh my gosh. 
this is so much more complex and yeah the movie pulled out the fucking big guns i mean i cried a lot during the last 25 mm-hmm. minutes of this movie for a lot of different reasons i think like just i don't know i went to college for music so like this is like in my wheelhouse quote unquote too and like just the the nerves of that and like the irony of having three family members that will never be able to hear you sing. Um, I just, I think it's like you said, like at the beginning there's, it's, it's a bit formulaic with as far as even, you know, Ruby, our main character played by Amelia Jones, who is so great in this movie, like a really great, I feel like that could be, I don't know if we, you know, we could talk about it, but um, a category at the Westons for best teenage actress. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, I feel like maybe we won't have a lot to pull from. And, you know, most of our ladies fall above, like, you know, at least 30 or above. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, maybe but who knows? Maybe we call it the, the Junior Miss BSA category. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I love that. The junior Misses, yeah. At large, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, sure, I ladies at large. That. Yeah, BSAs at large. Yeah. <laughs> I but uh, where was I going with all this? But I I just think that, um, yeah, because it's like, you know, she has a crush on a boy and they get paired up to do a duet at a concert. And there's like kind of um, but then it really get it really develops and really goes to a place of um, like you were saying, like, I, I love these little peaks of um, like I did not know this and um, and maybe a lot of people do. But I things that you wouldn't think of as far as even just an alarm in the morning yep. of how if you if you are deaf um, that you it's just the light that flashes. I was like, whoa, that like blew my mind, even though it's like such an obvious thing. But like um, I loved seeing those little peaks at what their lives look like and how they interact with people and how at times crippling that can be with like Marley Matlin and all the other moms. It's just, it's, it's obviously speaking another language, but it's, it's so much more than that at the same time. Yeah. I think what I, what I really enjoyed was that kind of getting swept up in really a very relatable story, you know, yes, Ruby story of, you know, the high school woes and, and the bullies and the, and the boy she's in love with and her, and her best friend Gertie, like all of that. It's like, Oh my gosh, we have walked these halls before. And And even then, you know, the the fishing side of things and just the things that were so much bigger than this family in terms of, you know, needing to be monitored and the profits and, you know, dealing with, you know, potentially selling on their own versus working with, you know, I don't remember. I don't have all the fishing lingo down. I didn't do the training. Oh, yeah. Lord. You know, yes. Uh, I, that stuff, all all that, you know, all that tugboat realness going on on the port, you know, on the docks. <laughs> All of that, it was like, and we've seen that before. And yes. uh, and I kind of, I think, actually, I appreciated that because I think there was something about, it's an interesting version of diversity in a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there is a value to seeing a movie about people who are deaf, and it's not just about them being deaf, you know? And that you kind yes. of have moments where you kind of forget about it or you're acclimated to it. I think it's a, it, it's actually the exact same as reading subtitles in a foreign language movie, you know? Like, you're just like, oh, yeah, yes. this is how we're communicating. And um, and in a lot of ways, it's like watching a silent movie, you know? The, the yeah. acting style is different. And, you know, I think that's when we get into talking about Marley Matlin. I think that's where a lot of the strength in her performance was, was really all three of the the deaf actors was it was where are what does it what does an inflection mean for someone who doesn't you know communicate verbally you know um 
And I thought that was really all of those nuances suddenly elevated this movie out of the kind of familiar storyline. And then when we got to that concert, when we got to kind of the the central conceit of Ruby wants to be a singer, you know, Ruby wants to stop being the sort of family interpreter and be a singer. And it's this one thing that in a way her family can't, you know, even as her mother says, I don't, we, we don't even know if she's good. How would, you know, what if she fails? We have no way of knowing. And I felt like they didn't exploit that. You know what I mean? It wasn't, yeah. um, it didn't feel like TV movie of the week, you know, you know, the, the, the deaf family, you know? Um, yes. That concert I thought was such a brilliant scene because it wasn't, it wasn't played up. It was just, it was just real, you know? Yeah, it was exactly how they would have experienced it. Like if they, you know, and it's it's interesting because, you know, Marley Matlin's character, um, she says like, why would you, why would you join the choir? Not even just because we can't hear you, but like also like she just didn't expect this. She had no idea that her daughter could do this. And at the beginning too, like the whole movie starts with um, Ruby and her brother and her father on the fishing boat. And she's singing at like the top of her lungs. And I, I mean... I studied music too and I hate saying this but like I I I have trouble with it even in like Ted Lasso um where um Rebecca sings a lot like because we all know she's a great singer I'm like is this just some ploy to like is, is she just an actress who sings you know and mm-hmm. we're just like really trying to push that but it's like it's integral to the pot uh, the pot the plot um and I think that but I was nervous, like even watching the first 30 minutes, I was like, oh, my God, I feel like Colin's going to hate this. And there are some cringy <laughs> moments, but also like I really loved this movie. I would totally watch this again. I would love to show it to Keon. I would love to show it. It's a movie you watch with like your mom, you know, Absolutely. or like it's, it's so um, balanced in a way that like, yeah, I just mentioned some cringe, but like. It totally makes up for it in the like the last even like forty minutes of this movie. Um, oh my yeah. god, that's where this movie. I mean, yeah, it it goes above and beyond the formula and is. I mean, I think there were a couple moments that just like made me kind of do the gay gasp, and I think the yeah. first one may have been when they're at the concert and Ruby and uh, what was the boy's name. Um, her little, yeah, I can't remember him. Yeah, her little boyfriend. What, what? I'll look it up as you talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when uh, Ruby and her little boyfriend are going to do their... Uh, Miles, I think his name was. Um, yes. So when Ruby and Miles, they're going to do their duet. And and it, this is the thing. We've watched her practice the entire movie. And so it is like the build up to seeing you know what it feels like to be, okay, let's see, you know, let's see the product of all of your work. And so yep. it's like watching Sister Act, you know? And then just as they're about to start or just as they're starting, then all of the sound pulls out and it's just silence. And then we're fully and we've already watched her parents experiencing the concert, you know, and obviously getting distracted or kind of, you know, being a little bit lost and trying to read the cues of other people in the audience. Um, But we're still hearing everything. But I thought it was so powerful for then that moment for us to really experience what they're experiencing and like the yeah the loss in that moment of like the disconnect of what she's doing on stage and it was and and that we miss out we miss out on that moment the same way they're missing out on it and yes i was like oh 
and I mean this always as a compliment when I say this, but oh, you bitch. You (laughs) bitch. That is so brilliant. Yeah, and it only gets better from there, in in my opinion. I think that I was like, I wonder if she's going to still sing it, but sign it for her family, like at the at the concert. Mm -hmm. So like just a last minute thing that we didn't know about, and they save it for later. And that was my other gay gasp. I was like, oh, but it was just like that's when the tears came. I was like, this is so beautiful. Like I was telling it, like explaining it to Keon, and I would like almost like choked up again. I was like, it, it was just. Magic. I I really love, but we'll get to the ending too. But um, there's another scene I I also want to dive into that is like, to me is like, oh, I think you could put this on the list of like one of the best scenes of the year, at least of what I've seen. But we'll get to it. So is it the pickup truck? Yes, it's the pickup oh, truck. Yes. <sighs> I put my hands so on my good. face and I was like, oh yes. my god, oh my god. Anyway, so yeah. Coda for anyone who who wants to be caught up on this coda is uh, an acronym for you know child of deaf adult and it is about this fishing family in massachusetts and the father and the mother and the older brother are all deaf and then the younger daughter ruby is hearing and the father and the mother are played by oscar winner marley matlin and mm. uh very decorated actor troy kotzer who is phenomenal in this He's uh, really good. He's so really good. good. Like, he was, I mean, in some ways, it's like, where is the BSA best actor buzz for him? Because, oh, my God. I just, I thought he was just really powerful. Um, and then, yep. yeah, her brother Leo, played by Daniel Durant. And, yeah, and so it's, you know, we're kind of seeing a, a slice of life of, you know, she's in high school, and she's got her little friend Gertie, who I really enjoyed. Yeah, same. And, you know, and there's always, like, the school bullies and the boy that she likes. And, you know, and then she joins the choir as an elective, and that's where we meet Mr. V, Mr. Villalobos. Villalobos? I, he's right. Villa I'll Yobos. call him Mr. V. Villalobos. Yeah, <laughs> there Yobos. we go. Yeah. Who is played by Eugenio Derbez, who I think is, like, a superstar in Mexico. I think I I also agree with that. Yeah, I feel like for uh, us Americans, the, where I recognized him because I looked at his IMDb, he was in the the remake of Overboard with Anna Faris, and right. I remember him on the poster and the trailer. I was like, "Ooh, who is that handsome man?" And what were your thoughts on him as this? Like, I guess we'll call him the chorus teacher, choir director. Um, How did you feel? Well, you know, I all respect to someone who is clearly a legend in his own right. Yes. And I'm sure is very talented. And I have not seen anything other than this to verify that. But I thought not to really any fault of his. I thought that the character was a little bit of a square peg in a round hole in this movie. I Sure. The scarves. The it was all a little like melodramatic of like you missed practice now I'm you know being Phantom of the Opera in the music room right now it was like all right well she has like a family business to run and she can't afford lunch <laughs> yeah, money exactly. if she doesn't yeah, help know. like you need to like you know you need to play the theme from Love Story and calm down girl but yes uh that was my take what was your feeling I have like mixed feelings as well I think that. I thought at the very beginning that he was the gay choir teacher. I uh-huh. it totally threw me for a loop when he had like a daughter and a wife at the um but I, I get the uh, did you ever watch Mozart in the Jungle? I did, did you watch any not. Of that? that is okay. such a 
that was such an early Amazon show. It was, it, yes. You know, it was that was like one of the first. So it's sort of a, uh, it's it it's a it's a show in the jungle in the Amazon jungle, blah, 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 if you will. But anyway, go the on. Concrete jungle. Yeah, yes, I know yes, Debbie yes. Monk's in it, so that's important. Debbie Monk's great. Um, yeah. So is Bernadette Peters. But right. uh, it, it kind of it gives me shades of like. Gael Garcia Bernal, who is like the the lead in that, and he's great. Yeah. But again, it's like the, he's eccentric and has a lot of energy. I would have preferred. Um, I don't mind the toughness of him. Like I again, I agree with what you're saying as far as like, yeah, she's literally saving her family from like financial ruin. So like, if she's 20 minutes late, like you gotta know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's the flip side, like that sort of like whiplash effect of like, you have to be committed, and if you're not committed, you're done. Like it's it's either this or this, and I think that's that that plays into the whole conflict of of Ruby and like her choices. So I I understand it, but I. I guess it's like a high school with teacher too. So I'm I, I would rather him be more of a Miranda a Miranda Priestly uh, choir teacher if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, and and really push her and see what she can do and be a, maybe a little bit more withholding, but also be stern. Um, maybe that would have played better. But I I liked him. I really liked him towards the end. I think at the beginning there were a lot of like again, it's like that first thirty five forty minutes. Where I was like, okay, what's he? When whenever a voice teacher just says more breath, I am immediately like, okay, we're done because it's it's so much more than that, right? But, right. But like, I know you can't give her like an individual lesson, you know what I mean? But like, stick out your stomach is not like it's not helpful. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it, there's it, so much more than he just even that. says he's good at this. If he's so good at it, like that's not something you would just tell a student. Yeah, even when they're having like their private uh, voice lessons and stuff at his house, like. I do understand because like so many of my high school students that I taught and middles, they're just like so stuck in their bodies. And I'm like, oh, I just wish I could fast forward you like 10 years to when you can really like enjoy this mm-hmm. and like really allow yourself to let go. So I do believe that is a huge thing that is part of the process for teaching kids that age. Um, but, and, and, you know, and we also have a, a certain amount of time to, to accomplish that. So. All that being said, um, I liked him. I think that there's, uh, you know, I love that he showed up for the audition at the end. Um, I did want to take some time to mention, because it was in the IMDb as well, too, but I have my own interpretation of this as well, because CODA is also a musical term in addition to Child of Deaf Adults, which I think is brilliant, um, since, especially since this is like a music movie, mm-hmm. in quotes. Um Coda can also mean, I'm just reading the IMDb right here, but uh, can also mean a concluding passage of music in a composition. So most of the time, if you finish the end of a piece, there's a repeat sign and you go back to wherever it tells you to go. And then eventually you see the Coda sign and then you skip to the end. And often the end is like a new sort of maybe similar theme to what the original ending was, but it's different. And I love that sort of like... It's like, how does that apply to this plot? You know what I mean? That Ruby, like, she tried to get away. She, like, finished the piece, we'll say, in quotes. But, like, she had to go back and sort of figure out how to make her own ending, I guess. But still being, um, like, a, fan- a part of the family unit in a way. So I just thought that was, like, beautiful. Um, and I just wanted to, like, mention that, yeah. you know, musical nerd terms. <laughs> yeah, and, like, genius in terms of, like the finding a connection in the in coda as an acronym and coda as a musical term and that both yes. of them are are so applicable to the story i mean it's also yes. just that of like oh 
the genius. Now, all of this, and I'm, you know, how awful I'm going to butcher. I, I think you pronounce her name Sean, S-I-I-N. I think you pronounce that Sean. Uh, I Sean think so. Hater. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we'll go that way, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and, and I'm saying she, and I'm just kind of making an assumption here. No, it is a woman. I knew that. Um, but anyway, she wrote and directed this, and I... And doesn't have like a, I think she's she's an actress as well, but doesn't have like a massive, um, you know, did she did a number of episodes sure. of Orange is the New Black and whatnot, but like doesn't have a, a, a huge filmography other than this. And I felt like just that little detail is such a great example of, I think, the ways in which this movie is really smart and really accomplished and surprisingly accomplished um, for somebody who doesn't have a ton of experience in their IMDb yeah. profile. So anyway, so the conflict of Coda is that Ruby, of course, you know, wants to be a singer. She wants to go to the Berkeley School of Music, which for a while I was like, wow, all the way across the country. Apparently it's a school in Boston, not California. <laughs> so um, I was very, oh, yeah, I was very grateful for the yes, subtitles yes. at that point. But uh, and so it's really a matter of like, do you stay and be the interpreter for the family, especially now that they're starting their own business or do you go off? And, you know, instead of interpreting everything for for someone else, do you kind of, you know, sing your own song? And yeah, uh, and all of this apparently is based on a French movie that came out in 2014 that similar to music, the, the controversy with the French version is that two of the actors were playing deaf characters in that movie were not deaf. So, yeah, um, which I think, you know, I mean. I know that's such a hot button issue in so many ways, right? Of like, you know, gay people playing gay characters, you know, uh, if someone's uh, blind playing a blind character, you know, whether it be ability or sexuality, I think race, we've more or less though, you know, there's always some interesting exceptions that are still happening, but more or less we've come to understand that white people shouldn't play Asian people, etc. But I think... When I see something like this, I feel like there are, and there's proof in seeing this movie, there are so many deaf actors. There are so many yeah. people who that this would be an opportunity for in, in the same way that there are so many trans actors that, you know, a trans character, that's an opportunity for them to play that character, you know, yes. uh, and not that a, a cisgendered or a hearing person or whatever couldn't play these roles effectively it's more just about opportunity you know and you know and i would also say that watching a movie where there are scenes where it's just you know two deaf actors interacting and we're just watching it and in interesting ways listening to it um knowing that that's authentic i also think adds something like there's that one oh, bedroom yeah. scene between Frank and Jackie kind of they're talking about Ruby and concern that she might fail. And I was like, this is I, I this is fascinating in that it's it's so unique to watching two deaf actors work together. And yet it's also so universal of two parents, you know, being concerned about their daughter, like yes. at, at the same time, you know. Yeah, I, I think it elevates everything because it, I, I'm trying to think of like some sort of analogy or metaphor, but I, I think of people. I think of um, T.R. Knight in The Flight Attendant. I think of John Benjamin Hickey in Sublet. And now I think of Marley Matlin in Coda. And mm-hmm. and, and just like how, I guess it just amps up the authenticity and just really, I don't know, it made me feel good to see it, I guess. And, and like you said, there are other actors and actresses that could have potentially done this. But 
why not do it this way? I think it it just feels right. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it's. I know that's like there are many nuances to that whole conversation too. But I I was glad to see it for all the reasons that you were just saying too. When it's like, especially now, it's like, what's the point of doing a movie in 2021 or in 2020, whatever, you know, featuring whatever it may be, you know, many gay characters, you know, characters of, you know, different abilities, whatever it may be, whatever the diversity is of that movie. I feel like in so many ways, what is the point of not casting, you know, to that diversity? I mean, yeah, you know, I, I will say that. As a gay man, I don't find it necessary for gay actors to play to play gay characters. You know, sure. Uh, that's why we have our queens. There are some men like Stanley Tucci, where I'm like, if you want to play a gay character, that's fine. You're sure better at it than probably a lot of gay actors. So, um, you know, again, it's like authenticity. You know, but I don't know. I'm not as sensitive about that. Yeah, I think so, too. I think just going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, too, that, like, this is just a, an interesting story to see. Uh, and, and one that I haven't seen, for sure, um, as far as, like, three members of the family. It's not just parents. It's also your brother. And just how much of a weight on Ruby's shoulders that is. Like, you know, the Miles mentioned seeing her order at a restaurant for her parents when she was like, what, what does he say? Like five or three or something. She like and she had to like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like had to order like beers for her parents. It reminds me a lot of like what Keon has told me about like him coming to the United States. And like, he was picking up English faster because he had it in school. And like, even up to like now it's obviously not as much now because his parents know English, but um, he's always in this constant state of translating. Right. Um, right. And I, and I see it like even for his 40th birthday, like, all his um his parents were here obviously and then his aunt's parents were here and then my parents came in and it kind of just it was almost like a record scratch it's like okay where do we go now because like they speak english but like it, it's obviously easier to speak in arabic and mm -hmm. they kind of continued to and we were kind of speaking in english it's like how do we how do we mesh here and like really seeing marley matlin you know, with the, with those women where it's not even just that you don't know the language it's that you can't hear the language at all. Right. Which is such an obvious thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it's a lose lose situation there. Yeah. Yeah. Like the isolation there. And I, I think yeah, yeah. Um, what I what I really love, because, you know, my sense is like, oh, my God, if if Ruby leaves, like, you know, this family is screwed like they need her like they there is a sense of like. Oh no, but there it's always a disability. You know, like you know, mm -hmm. it it's always kind of seeing it as like, oh no, but there's that missing piece. And I love that there was I think Leo and Ruby have that that fight and he was like, Let them learn how to deal with us. Let them learn how to communicate with us. Let like instead of always needing the interpreter, it's like, well, maybe these hearing people need to like you know, step it up, step yeah. it up and like, you know, whatever it may be. And, and we start, we kind of see that in that montage towards the end. Like there's a, there's a great little scene of, I don't know, like Jackie and some woman laughing about something. And it was yes. like, Oh, this, I love this. I <laughs> yes. love this. It um, gave me hope. It gave me hope. That shoulder yeah. touch. Yes. But, uh, but I thought that was really powerful as well is that it was also not about seeing Frank and Jackie and Leo as like hopeless without Ruby, you know, or that oh she gets she finds another interpreter to take her place you know I thought yeah. that was so smart to be like well nope we this is just gonna be you know a part of 
our lives and the people we live with and we work with and the community that we're in, you know, and have mm-hmm. been in for so many years. And I thought that was and none of it, again, felt like TV movie of the week. I thought it was so earned, you know? Yes, yes. I, I also love like with all the, you know, the serious stuff that we're talking about, too, there is a really strong sense of humor in the movie too mm-hmm. even with um with Gertie the best friend played by Amy Forsyth um when she walks through the house like the living room even I don't think she even leaves the room she's like damn Leo got hot and Leo is Ruby's brother mm-hmm. and she's like shut up and he's like what he can't hear me yeah <laughs> she's like it made me laugh because it's true she's like she's it just kind of without doing without saying anything i mean she said the line obviously like it it shows the history between them between gertie and ruby because she knows she can say it not in like a vindictive way or anything because she's complimenting him but like she knows that it doesn't really matter yeah Um, yeah i just really loved that gertie's a great character i there's a little nuance when she and ruby are in the cafeteria getting lunch and they're going down the kind of the line and then you know gertie stops at the pizza and she goes pizza Oh, it's cold. Right. And there's just like this real casualness about it. I I really liked her. I thought she was a, a in in some ways even an assistant to the BSA of yes. just like a great little friend. And uh, you know, uh, I was happy she and Leo got together. Yeah, and speaking of just that um like bridging the gap or like stepping it up, I guess. And and really I I guess it's because she is best friends with Ruby, but like when um, Leo was at the bar and Gertie works there. It took me a second to realize that was Gertie because I, yeah. I had seen her so little. I was like, oh, that's Gertie. They're sort of like nonverbal communication and like she wasn't really signing, but they were just kind of, it was like flirtation and just how that was and, and eventually evolved into them like sort of texting together. Then they like fucked in the, you know, the broom closet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I almost said backstage, but it's not backstage, uh, you know. Um, but it's interesting to see that because I'm sure she's developed her own version of like ASL just by being uh, having that family you know, being around them so long. Right, right. Like you just like if you like I would imagine there's certain words that you've picked up being around Keon's family. There's certain words oh, or phrases sure. yeah. you just know. And, you know, even if you don't use them, you recognize them. And if you had to, you could, you know, say something in a pinch. For sure. For um, sure. Yeah. And, I, you know, and I love that they, they eventually took it to text messaging. I was like, of course. Yeah. You could just text message yeah, each other. Kids. Yeah. Yes. And it was so I don't know. There was something very charming about it as well, you know. Yeah, I think so too. I I just again I love the community of of where they live. I loved their house. The whole time Ruby is saying my house is disgusting. I had the same feeling when I was growing up. My house was not disgusting in any way. And maybe it's just my own, you know, going over to friends' houses for the real like my house, like my childhood home, which my parents still live in, is like it's small. It's like a small um ranch house in, mm-hmm. in the burbs of Pittsburgh too. And like and then you would go to your, I mean, we had a pool, which was cool. But, um, you know, you go to your friend's houses and they have like two stories and they have like a family room and a finished basement. And I'm like, oh, and then you just start to feel insecure about it. But I loved their house. It was, I mean, it was definitely a big house. And like, it was, you yeah. know, uh, I, and I had kind of that same thing growing up where I, I felt, you know, I wanted us, to, you know, we lived, yeah, we lived in a, you know. Uh, it was a two-story house, but it wasn't huge. A modest house. It was a yes. modest house in like a, a fine little neighborhood, nothing super fancy, and you know. But yeah, wanting it to look 
fancier than it was, you know, and like, yeah, we had like a totally unfinished basement and it was creepy and we had a playroom down there and it was like, all right, you know, but there are other people who had a finished basement and the sense of like, oh man, you have a finished basement. You have a half bath down here. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Boy, someone's living high on the hog, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, this was, uh, I would say this house reminded me a little bit of the house in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, where it was like, oh, I just want someone to come in and just, like, tidy this place up for all over the weekend, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there was something about, uh, and maybe, I don't know, like, is it, I, I wrote a note, first of all, because this made me laugh. Keon walked into the movie, and it was the scene where Ruby and Miles were f- jumping off that cliff for the first time mm-hmm. into the water. Which, by the way, I felt like that was the same cliff in uh, I Care A Lot. That same, like... Oh, right? That, when she's in that car and, like, just drives... It, it felt very similar to me. I was like, is this the same place? That was yeah, just a thought that I had. this is just a standard cliff where they go for diving, driving... Um, play, you know, plaintively yeah. looking out at the sunset. This is where yes. you go. Yeah, every coming of age film, I guess. Right, um, right. But I had a pause, and Keon was like, he walked in and he looked at the TV very briefly, and then looked at me. He's like, "Is that Kate Winslet?" <laughs> it just made me laugh. <laughs> like her hair was all wet, and I was like, "I'm definitely writing that down." He's like, "Don't make me look stupid." And I was like, "I was like, no, I could see like the where I had it paused. I was like, okay, yeah, I could see a very young Kate Winslet." Mm-hmm. Um. In this role, but it, it made me smile. Yeah, especially after Mayor of Easttown, we've seen that. You know, we we've seen. Uh, you know, I could see Mayor living in this town or sure. or having a cousin in this town. You know, oh my goodness, those um, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but the 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 sort of town hall meetings with all those angry fishermen, I would crumble. Oh, yeah. I would just be like, I, that is a situation I never want to be in. Uh, especially like Boston blue collar men, forget about it. Oh yeah. No, these are like bolder people. Like this is like, there's no breaking through. I, th- th- yeah. Fishermen, they, yeah. Yeah. I would never win. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I would love to put a little focus on Ms. Marley Matlin because yes, you know, it's, yeah, there has been a little bit of buzz. I know she was nominated for a Gotham Spirit Award for okay. support. I think for lead or supporting. Uh, let's see. Let's look at the nominations for this movie. And this is early. So, you know, uh, I don't think it was nominated for a Grammy. But uh, <laughs> where's where am I? There we go. Okay. So, so far, I believe, yeah, the Gotham Awards... Uh, oh, good. Oh, so Troy Kotzer, Marley Matlin, and Amelia Jones all got nominated. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, Amelia was nominated for Breakthrough Performer, and then Troy and Marley, you know, first name basis, were nominated for Supporting <laughs> Performance. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if Ann Dowd is not on that list. Uh, I know I'm perplexed by the lack of mass, yeah, but, you know, just, we have Reed. Reed's we got just Reed. representing at we the got Gotham Reed. Awards. Reed is yeah. really, yeah, he's representing the entire cast, I, which I appreciate. Yeah. So... I, I, of course, I, I thought Marley Matlin was great in this. You know, you had texted, like, hope there's going to be some signing through tears in this movie, and I could not have put it any better. I was very hopeful for some signing through tears. I would say that if we're, the moment, the, the moment, if there was, like, a moment she wanted, it's really the moment he wanted, which is the pickup truck scene. Um, yes. But for me, Marley Matlin, I, I thought she she's so charming she's so charming oh, in this yes. and i 
I just like loved her character. I I loved how watching her performance, it is, it's like watching a silent movie and watching a silent movie actress where it is all on her face. It's all in her expressions. And I really like, I think underappreciated how much like the, how different the work is that Marley Mountain's doing. Um, I haven't seen her Oscar winning performance, Children of a Lesser God, but now Neither I'm like I. Yeah, very I'm... fascinated to, um, you know who the BSA of that movie is. No, it is uh, one Miss Piper Laurie. Oh, I think I knew that somewhere in my mind, but okay. Yeah, I so, mean, put it on the list. Yeah, yeah, I think Piper was even nominated as well. Yeah, that was Marley Mountain's uh, first first performance, uh, first movie role, and. Let's see. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Piper Laurie. Let's make sure. It was Piper Laurie. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, put that on the list. Yes. Um, but anyway, I I think for me, if we're going to talk about like a moment she won it or where I really started to appreciate Marley Matlin was the concert scene. Yes. I thought, yes. and it was all very subtle, but especially with her, I the it's kind of a set piece in a way of, of starting to experience what they're experiencing in that concert and the dissonance that they're experiencing, not hearing any of it. And I thought Marley Matlin was playing like, there was like always this mix of pride and confusion and trying to put on a smiley face, but being a little sad. Like she was a constant mix of emotions and it was so just at a simmer. It never over overflowed, you know? Yeah, and, like, the way that they applaud compared to, like, everyone else with the hands in the air and even, like, the I love you symbol. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, my goodness, I love this. Um, but, yeah, I agree. There's there's a lot. I mean, it's, like, um, you know, added to the list of, like, Nicole Kidman face journeys in an audience. Right. You know what I mean? Right? Like, I feel like maybe there's a category brewing there, but uh, we need to watch more movies where women just sit in the audience of something and have <laughs> have a face journey. But I totally agree. I think that um, watching her, because I mean, I guess up until this point too, like uh, Ruby wasn't in choir. So it's like, how do I, like from, you know, from Marley Matlin, was it her character's name is? Jackie. Uh, Jackie. She doesn't look like a Jackie. I don't know why. It's like bugging me. I don't know. She looks like a Melissa or something. Mm, yeah, I can <laughs> see that. Yeah. 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 Uh, because I guess going back to, you know, their relationship, like, because mother and daughter relationships are complex, so are like, but I feel like she's more, um, she's more, she's closer with her dad because she's physically closer with her dad. Like, that is her life. Like, she mm -hmm. is always around him, which makes, like, the the pickup truck scene even more effective, which we'll get into. But I, I love that, like, she, but I guess what I'm trying to say is because Ruby is so, like, she has so much responsibility over, like, a lot of things, it's like, that um you know Jackie and and the dad I, they're they're kind of these like wild horny teenagers at the beginning you know what i mean like they're mm -hmm. you know the dad's smoking a joint and like they're just talking about like sex all the time and like it's almost like ruby is parenting them in a way so i love the the shift of you know um Jackie buying her the red dress and then them having the talk on the bed of just like you know if you want to do this Blah 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 blah. Um, I, I can't remember what that conversation was about. I don't know why I'm oh, blanking that's, on that. That's because Jackie. it was a, such a great scene. Yeah, that was you know it's kind of like 
that would be the other moment she wanted, so to speak, yes. is that conversation where Ruby asks her, like, do you regret that oh, I, that yes, I not you. deaf? Yes. And Jackie talks about, like, yeah, when you were born, they did the hearing tests on you, and I hoped that you were you would be deaf. And when I found out you were hearing, you know, my heart sank. And it was like, you know, I was afraid that, like, we wouldn't be able to connect on anything. Yeah, because it's like you wouldn't really want your daughter to be deaf, but, like... It, that sort of shared experience but in a way I thought that conversation would have been more through the lens of like I didn't want you to carry the burden of having to be the interpreter right because um, she doesn't really mention that um, but I mean but you kind of see like what she says in that monologue is kind of what I guess I was talking about and you kind of see throughout the first half of the movie is that there's you know they're connected but they're it's not like I don't know I'm trying to think of like uh, mother-daughter duo that's like super tight because you know there are just it makes more conflict for them not to be as close I guess or it's just more interesting to watch um, so I I think that was a kind of a real turning point for them and I just love that it started with the dress and she's like you don't have to wear it if you don't want to but I you know I bought it and yeah it, it's fine if you don't want to because Jackie was like she was a beauty queen and she yes. I think has you know and, and obviously Ruby is you know uh, more of a quote-unquote tomboy or whatever the appropriate yeah. term would be but it's just not you know she's she's comfortable a priority. Working on, yeah she's comfortable working on a fishing boat not wearing dresses not wearing makeup and um i think you know what's what's really interesting is in a lot of ways with with jackie and ruby the disconnect is less about you know hearing or being deaf but they're just very different people you know yeah that's that's true well uh, I have to ask, while we're on the topic of Marley Matlin, you know, it seems nowadays, uh, every week, we're going to have a new, oh, they were on the West Wing. You know, it's a new of segment course. on these episodes. Oh, they were on the West Wing. So did you recognize Marley Matlin from her 17 episodes as Joey Lucas on the West Wing? No. And I, I'm, I'm trying to think back of... Because I think I said on the pod like that I watched the first three seasons, but like it was so long ago mm. that I really do feel if I'm being honest and really trying to retrace my steps that I watched definitely the first season and maybe like half of the second season. But that vision is in my mind, like her on the West Wing is in somewhere in my memory. So whether that's just a clip I found on YouTube or me actually seeing it, but um, I love that she was on that show. Who so, wasn't on that show? Wait a minute. Wait. Tell me. Wait a minute. So you you've been seeing the praises of the West Wing. You know that's been you've been championing that as like we got to do the West yes. Wing. And yeah. you're telling me that you've only seen a season and a half. <laughs> I should have yes. known. I, I know it went from known. like it went from like four seasons to three to two to like yeah. one and a half. I watched the trailer. Yeah, you pull all the receipts from past episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I watched the, the theme song episode. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I mean I feel with all that being said I feel like I got a good taste of everything and I um yeah I guess so I I should I should fact check myself and you know I don't need to brag about seeing a show that I didn't see it's all good yeah well you know exactly so what so what you haven't seen so what who cares yeah who's keeping score if you watch the West Wing yes um well I would love to maybe shift gears marley matlin fabulous but i i think when we think about a bsa i think in some ways for me again marley matlin amazing but the bsa moment for me is really with frank mm -hmm. and ruby on the pickup truck bed which sounds yeah. a little more uh 
questionable uh, without context. So, sure. Uh, what happens is for anyone who's playing along at home, they go to the concert and obviously everything we've just talked about, there's just been a bit of a disconnect and, you know, they get home and Frank's, you know, says that he needs some air and he stays outside and then Whoopi stays outside with him and they sit on the back of the truck, the pickup truck bed and, Frank asks Ruby, you know, so what was that song about that you sang tonight? And she talks about, you know, the, it was really about, you know, about needing people and the importance of needing people. And then he asks if she can sing it for him. And so you're like, okay. And you know that he, like, they've already set up that, you know, he loves gangster rap because he loves the bass. And so we can like, you know, there's that, that understanding that he can feel the music and she starts singing and he puts his hand on like her throat and on her chest, you know, and prompts her to sing louder so he can feel her singing it. And it is unfucking believable. It's brilliant. It was like, wow, you bitch. I, uh, it is, it's beautiful. And I, I, I mean, the lyrics um, are, it, it's, it's also a Marvin Gaye song and Tammy Terrell, like, um, I will obviously not sing it, but like, um, the lyrics match perfectly what her situation is like, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and just like, and you didn't realize it until that moment, just how much like resonance that song has for the moment and her life. And it is beyond beautiful. I love that she doesn't really fight him. Like say like, I'm not going to sing it for yeah. you. Dad. Yeah. She says like right now. And he's like, yeah. And then she just does it. I love that there really wasn't any like teenage angst about it. So mm-hmm. I just, like the like it says um i'll sacrifice for you dedicate my life to you i will go where you lead always there in time of need and when i lose my will you'll be there to push me up the hill it's just it is so beautiful so beautiful it reminds me almost of like that i mean controversial yes but um the dad in call me by your name like that sort of scene like as yep. far as just like great dad and in that case, it's a son, but in this case, a, a dad and daughter scene. I, I can't speak enough about it. It it will, it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah, I I was just I was really you know because this movie I guess in whatever award circuits it was in you know it took all these top honors at Sundance or something like that and so you're kind of like okay, let's for it to be that accomplished. What does that mean? You know and and uh, yeah, when you start the movie, you're like okay, well, I hope they're not just giving brownie points because they're featuring a deaf family. Like, I, I, this movie deserves more respect than that. You know what I mean? Yes. And so I don't want them to be pity votes, you know, of like, well, we have to, you know, it's politically correct. And mm-hmm. then I thought when it got to, yeah, really this third act of this mo- the movie and the concert and then this scene and then obviously the audition, it was like, oh, wow. I, Yes, give this movie all the awards. And partly because of what you said earlier, that it is so powerful, and yet you also you want to share it with your family and your parents. And yes. it's something totally accessible. And, um, yeah, like it was I, – I thought this was just like um, – it reminds me of Minari in a way, where yes. it was just like, whoa, you just – it's not a news story, but you just – it's a – it still feels necessary and I want, I want to share it, you know? Yeah. It's like the same story, but with different characters, I guess, mm-hmm. different types of characters and different uh, circumstances. And 
Uh, there was, I, I want to talk about the audition and then I want to talk about like the end, but I, I also don't want to like jump around too much. Uh, those were, it, those are the places yeah. on my list. So you are, oh, you are perfect. hopping along in all the right spots. <laughs> so what I also appreciated so much about this is like, um, you know, there's this whole, will she audition for Berkeley? Will she not? Because she decided to stay and help the family. And then, you know, her dad wakes her up. It feels like the next morning after the concert in ways, and maybe it is. And they just get her dressed. She's not really wearing a dress, and they they all go to Berkeley to audition. And I think Marley Matlin has a line of like, if we're going to cast you out of the family, we might as well do it all together, which I think is very mm-hmm. sweet. So like, yeah. And obviously, like, a conversation was probably had that night by the three of them, I imagine, you know, that, like, this is the best thing for Ruby and we all need to be okay with this. Right. Um, which I love. I love that. W- I love that we also don't see that, that it just happens. So they go to Berkeley. Um, she bumps into Miles, who... I love that he bombed his audition. I just think, like, for the sake of the story, mm-hmm. like, I love that, um, you know, spoiler alert, she gets in. But um, I, I jumped ahead there. So she goes, she's standing on the stage. She doesn't have any sheet music, which I find crazy. Like, it, it is not going well. She has to sing an acapella. But then all of a sudden, Mr. V comes in, saves the day. And I loved, I mean, this is where I really loved Mr. V because he knew it wasn't going well. And I think with every audition any musician has ever had, you always wish you could start over again, even if it is going like, okay. So he plays a wrong note on purpose. And I just, I can't tell you how much I love that. I thought that was just like a subtle way and such an obvious thing at the same time. I was like, good for them for writing that in. So she starts again. And this whole time, you know, the parents, um, Ruby's parents and her brother, they want to see the audition because they, they really can't hear it. It doesn't matter at the same time. So, but um, eventually Frank, the father was like, let's sneak up to the balcony. So they do, they're sitting in the upper mezzanine and she's singing Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell. And she sings probably like, I don't know, what would you say, like the first 30 seconds of the song and then just starts to sign it and like delivers it like, up to her family and it is it's so good and it was just like i love that they saved it for this part of the like this point of the movie i i yeah i didn't see it coming either i had not and it feels so obvious that you know there would be but it was so well placed to have her like to to because i think that became the conflict of like how can they appreciate you know what she's doing and there's kind of that automatic thought of like, well, there's just that disconnect between hearing and, and deaf people. And we get the pickup truck scene where it's like, no, there is a way of feeling it. And then there's, you know, and I think it's so much about music and like, there's the power of just music. There's the pa- and then there's the power, power of lyrics and the power of like the yeah. message of the song. And I thought that they found this brilliant way to combine the two, you know, in that scene. And it was so good. And it was also, I think, a great throwback to the lessons that she had with Mr. V, where it was like, I think in a lot of ways, Ruby communicates better through sign language than through mm. speaking. Like, that's what, that's actually her first language, I think, in a lot of ways. And so yep. there's that one scene where she's, you know, they're having that lesson earlier in the movie, and she like, can't describe how she's feeling, and she has to sign it. And I yes. thought that I love seeing that come back in the end, where it wasn't just... The, the sort of hat trick of having Ruby 
do sign language for her family at that moment, but knowing that like this moment of expression or for her to express the song the way she really needed to sign language supported that, you know? Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was really, that was incredible. I thought that moment was so good. I was wondering if we would even find out if she got in at the end. I thought the movie might just like cut off and be like, the win is the moment, you know, but sure. I'm glad we found out, you know, same. It's like the, you know, knowing sign language, kind of became her superpower in the moment and like really helped uh sell the song i guess in more ways than one like to her family and like yeah it's it said so much more than her just singing and i i often get a little leery of like auditions in movies yeah sometimes because you see that girl singing like beautiful classical music and i'm like oh my god but i i don't know you know all of berkeley's like vocal programs but i i do believe they have like a contemporary track or like a jazz uh vocal track you know that you can study you don't have to study just classical music but i think you have to have it for your audition so i'm glad we didn't have to hear that but also um i'm glad that she actually is a really good singer and Mm -hmm. that this just added to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I thought that, you know, the, because I think the movie does like two montages and there's like the montage earlier in the movie when they start the business and all of that. And then there's the montage of her getting the news that she got in and telling Mr. V and, um, you know, and and that's, I think where we get the scene of Jackie with the other women, you know, laughing about something in the little tent. tent. Yeah. And I think one of the women does a sign language, says something in sign language. And I was like, she's learning. She's learning. Yes. Uh, yes. it, It was great. But yeah, then we get this ending that I, you know, the, the, you know, Jackie and Frank and Leo are largely don't, you know, Uh, all of their speaking is through sign language and you know there's sort of a it's not really verbal Um, Marley Matlin there's a I think there's one moment where she kind of I think when they have that bedroom scene where it it's interesting it's an interesting version of language where she's just kind of making an emotional sound while she's like holding Ruby and which was just like oh that's so it's just like fascinating like this is the, the different version of language you know um, yeah, there was. I'm sorry to interrupt, no, but I just want to, another example of that is when um, the TV crew was coming to film and um, Ruby was leaving, and she kind of lets out this like almost like yip yeah. to her to kind of get her to stop in her tracks. Because like, what can you do besides do that or like um, you know hit something or make a noise or something? But I yes, I agree. But uh, yeah, continue. yeah, it, it's just that it's an interesting nuance that doesn't happen very often, but you know most profoundly at the end. Um, Ruby's driving off with Gertie, with Gertie, and then, you know, asks her to stop the car, and Ruby runs back, and, you know, because she doesn't want to make a big thing of it, of course. And, you know, it's that classic dramatic tension of, like, oh, I don't want to make a big thing of it. I'm just going to go. Goodbye. And then, like, wait, I need to make a big thing of it. And, you know, she yeah. runs back, and they all have a group hug. And and then Frank says, go. And, you know, <sighs> and it's just... Oh, I just was like, and I'm done. Uh, it was too much. Just yeah. one word just wrecked me. Yeah. I loved that ending. I mean, look over, look out, Lady Bird, you know, as far as saying goodbye to your daughters at college. Like, right? I, because yeah. it's so much more than just saying goodbye for college. It is, it packs a punch. And like, I was, I was, I was like, wait, I, you can't just like, put her in the car and go like wouldn't she go wouldn't the family go like come on guys and mm-hmm. but and normally like the sort of like running back to the family 
trope. I would just kind of roll my eyes, but it, I did not care. And then for him to say go, ugh, ugh. it was just, it's it was, so good, guys and gals. So I just, good. I feel like if it, this is on Apple TV, by the way, I know not everyone has it. Maybe there's a different platform or you can find it, but um, oh my gosh, I just, I just loved it. I, I agree. I think this is a, a, a real accomplishment. And again, something I would recommend to anybody, you know, I, I would say if you don't like reading subtitles, you're going to have to get over that because there's more and more stuff out there that you are yes. cutting yourself off from. There's Drag Race Thailand and there's Coda, you know. <laughs> so yes. there's, to, to name a couple, uh, The Tower. Uh, but The Tower. The Tower. Yes. But this was really, really great. And I, you know, it, it does feel very globesy. It feels like the little movie that could, you know, yes. I'm always going to, I love your coda, but like, don't get in the way of my Anne or my Martha. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, back off Marley. But I, I think this is great. And I, I'm so happy we did this one. Same. I, I'm so glad that it, uh. I don't want to say like turn into the movie I wanted it to be, but in ways that's kind of how I felt about it. Cause I, I was a little nervous at the beginning and I was like, I should have, it made me feel foolish for underestimating it. And mm. I'm so glad, I'm so glad that I was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I was happy to, you know, uh, to have to give in and say, fine movie, you win. I love you. I'm crying. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. So, well, good. Well, good golly, Miss Molly. I'm so glad that we both love Coda, and I'm so glad we got all our feelings out just in time yeah. for the music to start playing us Whoa. off. <sighs> well, where can folks find more of you? They can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa podcast, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Nick Kachanov. How about you? Well, you can find more of me on my other two podcasts, All Right Mary, currently talking about Dragula. And if you want to follow even more on Patreon, there's Drag Race UK and Canada's Drag Race and probably Italy. Good golly, good golly. It's going to be a lot. So, um, and if you want even more of my ramblings, you can go to In the Details, The Celebration of Nuance, which has no Drag Race. And you can find more of me on Twitter at Colin Drucker, Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And you can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity on Twitter at BSA pod. Or you can send us an email at the BSA pod at gmail.com. Well, I am scanning the crowd and all I see are peeled peepers. So that must mean everyone's waiting for the best supporting after show, which is coming tomorrow. We do not stop for American holidays like Thanksgiving. So just when you thought you were all filled up with gratitude, the best supporting after show will be back to be back. You will be here tomorrow on <laughs> Friday and uh, you do not want to miss it. Probably it's gonna be good. It's going to be great. And that, as they say, <laughs> <laughs> Is that? Is that Kate Winslet? <laughs> <laughs> Bye.